Welcome again to Profiles on Nantucket Community Television, Channel 18. I'm Charlie Walters. Since 1997, the Nantucket Preservation Trust has endeavored to preserve Nantucket's architectural heritage and its sense of place. And for the last two years, the executive director of the organization has been Mary Bergman. And Mary is here with me in the studio today. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, Charlie. Let's try to zero in on what I just said, which, <laughs> which I stole from your, uh, your website. Uh -huh. um, give us some specific examples of what the Preservation Trust does. Sure. So the Nantucket Preservation Trust, uh, as you said, founded 25 years ago. Uh, really what we do, I think the thing that we do that separates us from other organizations that are also interested in history or conservation, preservation, is we work with homeowners to put preservation restrictions on their properties. That's something that um, we have more than 25 preservation restrictions, which is a, or sometimes called preservation easements, which is a voluntary agreement that people enter into, uh, which preserves the character defining features of the exterior as well as the interior of their house. Some people say, you know, well, we have this local historic district, it covers the whole island, uh, that's the HDC. We have a National Historic Landmark that's administered by the Park Service. What's NPT doing? Well, all those groups are only concerned with the exterior, the way the, look, the house looks from a public way, basically. And NPT is concerned with the interior of homes and also maintaining those traditional building methods uh, and ways of, of, per, of maintaining and preserving a house. Um, so we've got the preservation restrictions or easements, we have a scholarship where we send uh, kids, kids, they're usually in their late 20s, early 30s, to the North Bennett Street School in Boston to learn preservation carpentry, other historic trades. And I think of us sometimes as a translator between the homeowner who purchases a historic house and wants to restore it, make it you know, more comfortable, livable for modern life, but doesn't know who do I go to first. Um, so we will introduce them to that craftsperson who can look at your chimney that looks, you know, it's listing to one side and you're thinking like, how will I ever get this fixed? To the experts that we have on this island and we have some of the, the smartest, most talented people in the country. I mean, I'm not just saying that, but there are people that are living here on Nantucket that are working on, you know, Mount Vernon, George Washington's tomb, um, doing the plaster work in there right now. And those people are here and they are, you know, more than willing and thrilled to work on projects on Nantucket. So making those connections, I think that's a, that's a big part of what we do. And then we do those little plaques that you see when you walk around town, just educating people uh, who lived here, who built this. Why should I care? You said what the easements are, but how, how does that work? Yeah, so the easements... Um, we have more than uh, 25 preservation restrictions, uh, easements. If somebody is interested in, they come to us one of two ways, basically, which is the first is any project that's a historic preservation bricks and mortar project that's funded by the Community Preservation Act, the CPC uh, here on Nantucket. Uh, because that's public money, something like there was recently a restoration down at NISDA in Wawinnet, the Nantucket Island School of Design and the Arts, uh, that investment is protected by a preservation restriction um, which preserves the exterior, the interior, and perpetuity. It's a document that travels with the deed. It's recorded at the Registry of Deeds. The other way is a private homeowner or private business owner wants to make sure 
that the work that they've done on a building to preserve a house will uh, outlive them and continue on. I think one of my favorite examples of this is Matt Fee's, uh, and Matt and Sheila Fee's building at 79 Orange Street, which is now Flock, that used to be where the Nantucket Bake Shop was. Has that very cool Italianate facade. That was the facade of a grocery store. It was by the monument. Yeah, that was a facade at a grocery store there. by the monument, <laughs> Monument Grocery, right? And that Monahans. was where, yeah, a land bank Mr. park Monahan. was put there. Yes. So they ended up, Liz Coffin uh, and others saved that facade uh, for years. And then when Matt and Sheila restored that building where Flock is, they married that facade to that building because Matt and Sheila's store had been a grocery store too. Mm -hmm. There were all these little grocery stores around town. So because that facade was something that had been threatened and endangered, now it was back at a you know identical building. They preserved it by putting this restriction on it, so that nothing can be changed to the exterior of the building. Um, it's a really great way to make sure that these buildings are going to outlive us and be here for the future generations to enjoy and see. So these are legal documents that yeah uh, that that carry this out. In a worst case scenario, let's say a hundred uh -huh. years from now. Uh -huh. Somebody decides, to heck with this easement, I'm going to do what I, yeah. I want to do. At that point, when everyone today is no longer with us, who has standing to um, go after the person who would violate that agreement? Well, hopefully, uh, the NPT will continue to be here in 100 years, long after uh, you know we're here. The Nantucket Preservation Trust will be here. Um, if there was some reason as to why the Nantucket Preservation Trust were to no longer exist and these restrictions can be transferred to other um, similar organizations who have the ability to carry that out. So for example, the town of Nantucket had a preservation restriction on uh, 31 Western Ave, the start of the Sea Youth Hostel. Mm -hmm. Decided that since the HDC is so inundated with applications and things they're reviewing, that restriction was transferred to NPT. Um, so these things are kind of moved around if they need to be. Um, it's hard to imagine what Nantucket <laughs> will be like in 100 years. It's hard to imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years. It sure is. <laughs> uh, at the beginning, I, I mentioned architectural heritage. Mm. Does that include all forms of architecture on Nantucket? Uh, Michael May, who, was, uh, who held this job before I did and who I worked with for two years, he used to say, um, that we believe in preserving the best of every era. And I think that's really true, that Nantucket is not just one moment in time. Um, so because the whole island is a landmark, national historic landmark, interestingly enough, our period of significance goes up till 1975. And um, when I was in graduate school, most of my studies were, interestingly enough, about the space program and about NASA, which was founded in 1957. And my parents used to say, how can you study something that's as old as we are? Um, <laughs> and I think that's the, <laughs> that's the hardest part of historic preservation, is realizing that, um, that, that 50 years or older is considered historic. Now with classic cars, I think it's, you can have a car oh, that's like 35 years and be in the right. Daffodil Festival. Even less than that. Yeah. yeah, so I've seen cars that are older than, younger than me in the Daffodil Parade. Um, 
I think, President, you know, so it, I guess all I, what I'm trying to say is it sort of calls into question our own mortality and our, our, how much longer are we all going to be here and what's going to be there in the future. Uh, but again, the Park Service says 1975 uh, is the end of our period of significance. A lot of that has to do with the preservation movement on Nantucket in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s that's created the world we're in now. Um, so we've got about, as of 2012, we had 12,000 structures on the island. I'm sure it's more than that now. Yeah. Of those 12,000, about 6,000 of them were built prior to 1975, and they could be considered contributing to that, that landmark district. So that's important for things like tax credits. Um, there's a federal historic tax credit uh, that some people on the island have gotten for their preservation projects. It's really great knowing that you could have something that was built in 1960 and you could maybe even get this tax credit for it while you're, because of that extended period of significance. Now, not everything is, there's kind of hierarchies in preservation. There's things that are significant, contributing to the landmark district, and then there's um, what the Park Service would call preferably preserved, that, that building you throw yourself in front of a, um, a wrecking ball for, you know, the thing you really don't want to see come down, the thing that is the, you know, I, I think of the library as, as, you know, sort of the Nantucket Athenaeum is one of these great examples of, um, of style and architecture. But there are, I think you can learn something from every building, whether or not it's uh, you know, significant or not. Well, uh, before I ask my next question, just to pick up on something you said a moment ago, there have been more houses built on Nantucket, according to your figures, since 1975 yeah. than in the preceding 350 years. Yes. Which is amazing to, to think about. Um, be that as it may, um, this gets into an interesting area because let's say you built a house before 1955, mm -hmm. which I think is when the HDC came into existence. That's correct, yeah. And at the, t well, at the time you could have built anything you wanted, mm -hmm. and some people did. But let's say you built a, uh, a house according to a design that would not be approved today. Yeah, what happens? Is that something that should uh, be, I know there, there are very, yeah. there are many examples, yeah. different examples yeah. of the kind of thing I'm talking about. But what do you do in a case like that when you're being, uh, when you're considering whether to try to preserve something that could not be built today? I think it's, when you're looking at something that, that, that could not be built today and that's something, you know, I hear a lot, well, you know, you could never this would never pass building with Nantucket in mind, which was written in 1978. Um, that period of time that you referenced, 1955 to 1972, that's when our National Historic uh, Landmark and our local district was expanded to cover the entire island. I think that's one of the most interesting periods in our island's history. Um, because I think people knew that there was this, you know, this, the town meeting body had to vote to expand that, um, local historic district and subsequently the National Historic Landmark. So people were thinking, a couple big things were built during that period of time. Tristram's Landing uh, is one of them, um, out in Madiket. Uh, there were people were just interested in um, experimental architecture, a lot of artists living on the island, especially if you, out in places like Madiket. Um, I don't think that historic preservation should be used as um, 
to, to remove buildings that we think are non-conforming. Um, the entire downtown basically is pre-existing non-conforming. There are a lot of buildings that we consider to be deeply historic that the building inspector would not let you build today. Um, I think that those anomalies or those, you know, buildings that stick out as saying, well, that doesn't really fit in with the Nantucket look. I love investigating why is that, who built it, um, what was the story behind it, how did it get here, and, you know, most of the time the answer is there's a, you know, very interesting reason as to why it was built, and once those buildings are gone, we're not going to really be able to understand why did a town meeting body vote to expand the historic district to cover the whole island? Why did we have zoning laws enacted around that time too? Um, I think just because something looks different or doesn't look like how we think Nantucket should look doesn't mean it isn't historic. Well, there are a lot of buildings that fit that broad category you just uh, brought up um, that have not been torn down yet. Uh, a lot have been torn down, but there still are a lot out there. Yeah. A lot of them you cannot see from a public way, which is why most people aren't aware of them. But this gets to a, uh, a, a talk that was given a few years ago, and you and I spoke about this recently. <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul Goldberger gave a, a speech here, and he's former architecture critic for the New York Times and the New Yorker. He's written quite a few books, um, a respected presence in his field. And he's been a regular visitor here for a long time. And he said to the audience, uh, which filled the Unitarian Church, by the way, um, he said he applauded the historic preservation efforts that the town has undertaken within the town. Mm -hmm. But he said outside of town, in his view, there was no need to try to make houses that all look alike. And he, would, he wanted to see more of the kind of house that we've been discussing mm -hmm. here during the last five mm -hmm. minutes. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought of it in quite that context, but I thought he was absolutely right. And I can think of quite a few houses that are long gone, and I think, well, why did they tear them down? I mean, just, just because they don't look like everything else down here doesn't mean they shouldn't be preserved, which is what, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I was in the audience for that when Goldberger spoke, um, and I remember that people talked about that lecture all summer long at the grocery store, at the post office, and I think that's a mark of a really important discussion. You know, if it's something that people are still thinking about, and here we—I mean, that was in 2017, I think—and we're still thinking about it. So. Paul made a, <laughs> uh, a, a real impact on, on Nantucket. And I remember he rallied against this idea of preservation orthodoxy. Um, I do think that there are layers of significance. There are, everything kind of radiates out from our downtown historic core and from Sconset. Um, There's so many questions I would love to go back in time and ask uh, the Quakers who were building on the island at the time. What do you think about solar panels would definitely be probably number one. What do you think about an eight-car garage? What do you <laughs> think about a car parking on the sidewalks, the brick sidewalks? Um, it's interesting what we've allowed and what we haven't allowed um, in terms of change. And historic preservation is a lot about managing change. Things are always 
going to change and Nantucket is a pile of sand without any underpinning and we're moving around all the time. Um, I think that when you take down a building, what goes up where that building was should be a better building, should be architecturally more interesting, um, should use the space better, relate to the space better. I don't know that that's true of every demolition that's happening on Nantucket right now. I do think there's, you could look at other communities that have had more, um, that have allowed for more different types of building in the outer, outer cores. And I wonder, what are their property values like? Do they still have the same kind of heritage tourists that Nantucket has? Um, but the, the various areas of the island are significant for, um, for different reasons. And I think there is more than just the downtown core. There's a lot of questions I'd like to ask uh, the people who wrote Building with Nantucket in mind. I don't think there's, I'm hoping to have a panel uh, this summer. So, uh, about this, because um, I don't think there's been a text. It's, it, it's hard to think of another text that's referenced so much on Nantucket uh, that's had such an impact on builders, uh, on architects, on preservationists, on just homeowners just looking to change the color of their door. Um, I think that you have to think about what, you know, personally, my belief uh, is really about the building materials themselves. You know, you're looking at the downtown building. Um, you know, if it was up to me, I'd be less concerned with things like paint colors. But I understand that that is, you know, really part of Nantucket's look. And I think historic, that's, that's one area that falls into more aesthetics, I think, than historic preservation. But historic preservation does conflate with aesthetics here. And those are two things that are, you know, obviously of high value to the people who live here. Um, I suppose there are some architects who would say that having these constraints has, have pushed them to think up different buildings that they wouldn't have built before. I often think about what would Nantucket be like if we'd gone the Kennedy Bill route, where we really, you know, became a national, like a, the national seashore, yeah. where we had zones of development, um, but we really kept the downtown and Sconset kind of frozen in time, what that might have looked like. Um, uh, frozen in time, yes, but then the question arises, frozen in what time? Because you just mentioned colors, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've read in many places over the years, and you know much more about this than I do, if you had come to Nantucket 150 years ago or longer, you would have seen houses painted bright red or bright blue or yeah. colors that would be laughed out of an HDC meeting today. Yeah. So if you painted a house bright red on, yeah. on Main Street, that would be historically accurate, but there's no way in the world that's ever going to be okayed by anybody. Well, is, yeah. is that, is it pro, I mean, where does historical yeah. preservation begin and present day aesthetics begin? That's a great question. Yeah, where, where do, um, if you look at one of my favorite pictures, is a picture of the Athenaeum before, long before, you know, the Wheatsey Children's Library was built and there was like a candy stand or something next to it covered in signs next to a building that I, you know, sometimes I think this thought exercise of like, what building would I send to the Henry Ford Museum if Nantucket was, 
you know, sinking down into the sea or something, or to represent Nantucket. And to well, me, there's no if. <laughs> yeah, when? To me, it would be the Athenaeum. I think, you know, architecturally, culturally, it's got it all. Um, but there's this picture of this, and I do think they're selling like jellies and jams, next to the Athenaeum. And it's just covered in signs. Signs, signs, mm -hmm. signs all over the place. The Nantucket that we're living in right now is not a Nantucket that has existed at any other moment except for 2022. It's not the Nantucket of the 1840s. Um, it's the Nantucket that people kind of envisioned in the 1950s and 60s when the island was rebranding itself as this uh, destination. And yeah, I think I'd be so interested to know um, you know, what do other towns do when it comes to questions of paint um, or satellite dishes, you know, those sort of, these like visual intrusions. Paint doesn't hurt um, a historic structure. Gutting a house is what's really going to destroy the fabric of the island. Um, There's so much gutting going on here right now, and I have this image in my head of the, the great-grandchildren of today's homeowners thinking, well, I'd kind of like to have this house back the way it was before it was gutted, and I'm hoping that there are architectural plans being saved uh, around the island so that people will have something to refer to if, when, if that ever happens. I'm, I won't be here to see it, but it'll happen, I'm sure. It will happen because every generation rebels against the last one, and there were a lot of Victorian houses that were taken down on the island in the, eight, in the 1960s because the 1890s weren't that long ago. They really still weren't that long ago if you spend as much time in the registry of deeds as I do. But um, the 1960s people were kind of reacting. They saw Victorian homes as, you know, that was their grandparents' architecture. And they, there are a number of houses on Fair Street that have that traditional Victorian form uh, with that, you know, gable forward and big two over two windows but they don't have any of the gingerbread trim that you see on Martha's Vineyard. And that's because those, those houses were stripped of that trim in the 1960s as the island was kind of going back to this more colonial revival look. Um, there were a lot of things that were removed to kind of create the Nantucket that we're in today. I do think that people are always going to look at what their parents or their grandparents did and say, what were you thinking? Um, the many homes have been laser scanned. The University of Florida's Preservation Institute in Nantucket is doing laser scanning. Mm -hmm. So we do have, um, and we really you know, urge the HDC to make people document interiors of buildings, or well, buildings that they're gonna be uh, gutted. Certainly we've got as-built drawings of everything that goes to the HDC, and often that will show you the interiors. But the materials, if you were to rebuild an, 18, you know, an interior in an old home with modern materials like drywall, it just really wouldn't work because the width of the drywall is going to be much wider than the width of the plaster. The rooms are going to seem smaller. The light is not going to bounce around the way it would. And the thing about historic building materials, traditional building materials, is they last so much longer. Um, there are homes that were built within my lifetime on this island, which is We've got a climate that's very harsh, uh, the wind, the rain, the salt spray. 
And those homes have had to be taken down because in the 30, 35 years they've been built, they've already begun to rot. I know that you have problems with it. There are problems with historic homes. There are problems to overcome. Um, they're not insurmountable, and it's kind of hard for me to understand how something that has stood there for 200 years, why does anybody think that ripping that out and replacing it with modern materials is going to last longer than that? You know, I don't know if there'll be an Antarctic in 200 years, but uh, we know that these historic building materials uh, can stand up to the elements. And it also gets, that gets into craftsmanship too. Um, you know, the, the old days were always, always better, you know, it's a cliche, but um, I think the craftsmen back then knew their business more than the craftsmen today know it, which to a certain extent is understandable. But also, today there's more of a rush to get things done. I think it's that there's more of a rush. It's certainly there are plenty of people on the island who are working with uh, in traditional methods and manners. Um, and creating, you know, interiors, that spaces that you would walk into that would be uh, virtually, you know, in, indistinguishable from something done 200 years ago because they're using the same methods, they're using the same. They just did a project over at the Congregational Church in the old North, the north Vestry, which is from 17... 70, I believe. It's sort of the back of the... The, the back main, of the, the church, behind the, the big building. Yeah. It's a timber frame structure. They used goat hair plaster in there hmm. because the goat's hair is coarser than, you can't use human hair and you can't use dog hair, um, but you can use horse hair or goat hair and it holds it in. Does so that that's, date back to the, the, the building of the building or the refurbishing of the building? Well, they used point? it on the refurbishing. Oh, the, on the re oh, guys oh, today, okay. Adams, okay. Nelly, and Penn, Austin, their <clears> crew were able to um, you know, use, make something in that, in that uh, traditional way, applied in a traditional way, so it holds up and can be married to something that's been there for 200, 300 years. Um, you're not introducing a new substance. That's always a challenge in an old house, like putting in um, a new window, window into an old house. It always match up together. So I do think, you're, you know, we just know there's more construction going on now than there was then. Certainly there have been other booms on the island. Mm -hmm. But not like now. Not like today. It's so much easier to get here than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Just before I came to the studio today, so this is about an hour ago I'm talking about, I spoke with someone who told me about something I had never heard of, and I don't know how many examples there are on the mm -hmm. island of this, but there are people who are building compounds, more than one house on the same property, and there are underground tunnels connecting them. I've never heard of that. <laughs> I thought they just did that too. in Chicago where it was so cold and well, windy. Yeah, yeah. But apparently that, that is going on down here. Hmm. Uh, and in, in part, it's not the only reason, but in part it's because um, there's only so much room. So you're creating more living space underground you're, and then from yes, above. You're yeah. yeah, you're creating more living space because uh, you can't spread out because of the size of the property. Yeah. But And you can't go up because of HDC regulations. Yeah, yeah. But if you're in the right part of the island, you can go down, and people are doing it. Hmm. Um, hmm. I, I'm not damning it or, or praising it. I'm just, I'm just sort of saying, wow. Yeah. Uh, this, this is something new. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I think we're underground right here in the studio. We are underground here. <laughs> one the level, underground bunker. And we're in a very high part of the town, or, or oh, comparatively yeah, high yeah, part of yeah. the town. It is mounded up here. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, there's not water that's going to be coming up here. Uh, well, I think that's soon, a, an anyway. interesting question as far as how does flood proofing and, and all of that work with the, uh, the islands, um, you know, aquifer and all our other ponds and, and water issues. So, well, now, if know. a house, if a historic house has to be raised, yeah. um, I look at that as a kind of preservation. Yes. But the preservation orthodoxy crowd, for lack yeah. of a better term, might say, well, no, wait a minute. You can't change that. Yeah. Yes, but it's going to be under, but you still can't change it. Yeah, that's so. I I think that's an interesting one. And uh, Charlie's saying raised R R A I S E D as opposed to R A Z E D. Yes, thank you for point, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. Always thank always you. a challenge. No, I, I I always have to clarify. Right, so, so going up as opposed to knocking down. I think that um, when I first started being really aware of historic preservation on Nantucket, and I came to it through. 10 years in working of local history and museums. And I found that what I was really doing at the in my free time was like looking stuff up on the assessor database and registry of deeds and then realized there was a whole career uh, that one could have doing that. Um, I, I would look at houses going up and I, I didn't really understand it. And I thought, wasn't that a shame? And I would think similar things about houses moving. And now I see that after, you know, years and years of really thinking about preservation and thinking about adapt adaptation and Nantucket specifically, but also other coastal communities, the only constant is adaptation. Um, and I'm going to go back to where I'm from, which is the Cape. Um, and there are parts of the Cape that are not Route 132 in Hyannis. There are plenty of people who say, we don't want to look like the Cape, but I think those people have never gone beyond the Cape Cod Mall because the Cape is beautiful, uh, historic, and uh, not as beautiful and as historic as Nantucket, but it's yeah, pretty but if great. If you drive on Route 6A, you see a lot. <laughs> you see a lot that might what surprise I'm, you. What I'm getting at, though, is so the very tip of Cape Cod province down Long Point, there was a fishing village prior to the Civil War. And there were um, a number of structures. Basically, the fishing grounds, the fish ran out. They, they fished all the um, fish that were there. And those houses were floated whole over across the point to Provincetown Harbor. And those houses mm. all have little markers on them. And they're called Provincetown floaters. And there's a story that this, the crossing was so smooth that the women in these homes didn't stop making breakfast. So I've always mm. thought of, you know, the bacon sizzling as they were making this two-mile passage over water. Uh, in Wellfleet, Billingsgate Island, you never heard of it. It's because it hasn't existed in our lifetime since 1905. There was a little island there, community. They had a baseball team. There was a lighthouse. That island is now only visible at the deadest low of tides. It's a shoal. Those houses were also floated across to Wellfleet, and they were put back into the town. Some of them were cut up two, three times. Here we've been moving houses. We, when we abandoned whale stations out in Quidnet, we moved houses across the frozen Sacagawea to Sconset. 
Um, we moved more houses than any other town in the state, we say today, with our overland and our modular homes. Um, houses have been dug out of the sand. We're just moving all the time because the water is there and the water is always it's getting closer. I think that's the other hard thing is for our lifetime and really all of human memory, at least in America, so 200 so years, water's been over there on its side of the line. And it's hard to understand it's not going to stay there. So all of this is to say now when I see a house that's been lifted up, I think, okay, that house is going to be here in the future. I'm glad that Nantucket HDC, the town of Nantucket, hired a group to come up with adaptation design guidelines uh, because I think it's the thing that's tough is when these things are done piecemeal and you see this house was raised six feet and this house was raised nine feet and they kind of look like crooked teeth. So having a plan, you know, as much as possible, having neighborhoods elevated to the same height is, is helpful. I also think about uh, our history of building out on piers um, and wharves and houses on stilts, and I do think that's part of our, our maritime tradition, the way that our architecture was built. I think we're going to have to expand our minds a little bit about what Nantucket can look like in the future if we want to be able to stay here. Um, that's what that Envision Resilience Design Challenge, that Remain, uh, did a couple of years ago with students from Harvard Graduate School Design and um, Northeastern and University of Florida and other elite colleges kind of reimagined the Washington Street and Brant Point area. And if you walk down Brant Point right now, it's not the same, Albert Easton Street is not the same street it was two years ago, three years ago. Um, the house is, you know, there's a lot of change that's going on and I think there's going to be more. So how do you, you know, maintain and carry through that, those deeply historic structures and our town core? I think a lot of it too is about people. It's about methods. You know, I ran into a young Nantucketer today who said he was, you know, really hoping to buy a sailboat because he wanted to go out and go, you know, go fishing and sail back like his ancestors did. And I say that's like that intangible cultural heritage that's so important that we're losing. Scalloping, fishing, um, artists working along Washington Street, people coming to Nantucket because it was a place that inspired them, and, and all the great works of art that were created because of that. So that's all part of historic preservation too, and I think thinking about what are the things that we can carry with us that will last beyond these buildings is, is really interesting. And we can look to, there are plenty of other cultures, many indigenous cultures who've been continually kicked off of their land and they've had to carry their traditions with them. Um, lessons that you know, we should be looking to. Well, this brings me back to something else that, that's in your mission statement, which is the phrase, sense of place. Yeah, yeah. Please expand. Sure, so <laughs> sense of place really are all those intangibles. You're walking down Orange Street and you hear the bells ringing of the Unitarian Church. Uh, you see the smoke curling out of the chimneys. You hear the boat at 6.30 and noon and 8 and 10. Um, all of those little things. I think of the story of Nantucket is a, is a book. 
then all of those little pages that sort of slide in are, are the pieces that make up the sense of place. The thing that lets you know you're here and you're on Nantucket. Um, and not some other place. And not some other place. Uh, and not like, a, a, you know, you go into, there's, there's, I suppose, a good way to understand sense of place is to think about a nothing place. And again, we'll go back to the Cape Cod Mall. That might be <laughs> a nothing place. Uh, unless you were a teenager on the Cape and then it was a cool place years and years ago. But, you know, well, that, that place Cod could be mall, anywhere. You could be at a mall in Omaha Correct. or in Seattle or yeah. in Houston or... Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's nothing that lets you know you're here. And I think that people come to Nantucket year after year after year because it is a place that feels relatively unchanged. And I think for those of us who live here or have coming, been coming to the island for a long time, we lament a lot of the change because there has been a lot of change. But there's something about Nantucket. It's not changing at a rate as fast as the rest of the country, uh, other places. Um, there is something about, you know, arriving on Nantucket and you see that if you're on the boat and you can see the, the roof lines, the syncopated roof lines of the, uh, the you know, the, the cityscape and really feeling like you're here and you've arrived. And I think if this all sounds really lofty, right? And sometimes I say that historic preservation is, is really reminding you that you are part of this continuum. Um, but it, it is, it's like a little bit of an art and a science uh, in trying to carry forth all those pieces of the island that matter to us. I mean, if, if, if our summer visitors showed up next 4th of July and Main Street was paved, I think they wouldn't come back, you know, as opposed to cobblestones. It's, you can go to the beach anywhere. There's a lot of great beaches in this country. There are a lot of great beaches. But Nantucket has all of these elements <clears throat> that make it a whole. And it's a great laboratory. It's a great place to study because of this. There are a lot of challenges on the island, as we know. But I still do think when you get off the boat, you really feel like you're back home. You know, you feel like, thank God, I'm here. And that's what the sense of place is. Well, there's no place that's quite like this. I mean, you can go to... Bar Harbor, Maine, and see some similar architecture. You can go to, believe it or not, parts of the Midwest and mm. see some grasslands. You can find yeah. good beaches in the Canadian Maritimes and, and so on and so forth. But this combination of all of those things and this amount of old houses in one place, there's no other place on the planet like it. No, it's the largest uh, collection of pre-Civil War era historic structures in the country. There's more than 800 of them. And I remember one woman came into my office and said, that got Fish Not Houses bumper sticker. That was about me, wasn't it? I said, well, it was about a lot of people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she said, well, you know, what was I supposed to do? I had a 12-foot chimney in the middle of the house. That's not realistic and blah, blah. And I said, I understand, but it isn't just you, you know? And it, it's not just this one house where, you know, the chimney was taken out and, and you know, it, it's really you just have the facade. It's a lot of them. Um, and eventually losing that fabric is going to contribute to the loss of that intangible quality that draws people to Nantucket. 
And I think that could have a negative impact on property values if Nantucket is not such a desirable place to be. Historic preservation is part of the story of why Nantucket has been such a success, um, and that includes a financial success as well. I think that um, I'm really looking forward to the day when a house that has a preservation restriction on it is something that people really say, oh, I really need that house because it has the original windows and the original floors, and it's, you know, there's nothing like it, and it's unique. Um, it'd be one thing if these new interiors were lasting 100 years, but we know they're not. And I would go back and say, what's wrong with the chimney in the middle of the house anyway? <laughs> Keeps you warm. That was the whole point. <laughs> exactly. You know, one thing that was so interesting is during, you know, we'll say that the first year of the pandemic when so many people were at home all of the time, people realized why their homes had previously had doors and two or three little rooms. It's so, I mean, you know, you're when you're cooking onions in the kitchen, you don't smell it in the bedroom. <laughs> it's so you can go into a room away from your children. Uh, or your spouse, but the open floor plan doesn't really work when you have people in the past spent a lot more time in their homes, mm -hmm. I think, than we do. You know, oh, they didn't yeah. have a lot of the third spaces that we, there certainly wasn't. You know, you go down to the coffee shop or you didn't go to the, you know, uh, Athenaeum and read the newspaper for a couple of hours or whatever. Your your home was your world. And I think that's, we went back to that for a while, and I had wondered, were people going to say, gee, I'm really happy I'm in a house that has all these little rooms, um, so you can kind of sequester yourself. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to see how is architecture going to change because of the pandemic. Um, there were a lot, you know, all those huge office buildings that nobody's using anymore. Yes. And that there's a housing crisis in so many places. But yeah. the dots really haven't been connected yet. It's because we don't rule cases. the world yet, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> that may be a good thing in my case. Uh, before we go, I want to talk a little bit, or have you talk just a little bit, in, in brief, about some of the other things that the Trust does. For example, house consultations. Yes, house consultations. That's sort of what I was alluding to about that idea of like a translator. We'll, we'll happily, if you own a historic house... Um, so we'll say, you know, 50 years older, older, but generally we look at houses that, you know, are about 7,500 years old um, or more. We're happy to come visit the house with a little team we put together, which is myself, um, usually an architectural historian or an architect, a preservation carpenter. Um, I've got a guy who's happy to crawl under a house and take a look and see what, you know, what condition the timber frame is like. All depending on what your concern of the house is. You want to know what the original, what, what things should you keep. Um, nobody is ever going to tell you you have to keep your bathroom the way it, they built it in the 1970s. That's another thing I should say at least once during this conversation is that kitchens and bathrooms are all, you know, when we're putting a preservation restriction on, those are like always exempted because that's where people are, you know, uh, that, that, the, Nobody wants to live in a museum. You know, nobody is asking you to live in a museum. Um, so happy to come over and do that. We do the house markers and the house histories, uh, where if you're interested in knowing who lived in your house before, who built your house, we can go back through the registry of deeds and the Nantucket uh, newspapers and a couple other sources and come up with a, a, a history of the house for you. And that's a really nice um, gift if you have a friend who's recently bought a house and you're trying to think about what to get them. 
Um, love to see those markers on the houses and let people know a little bit more of Nantucket's history. And those markers are done very nicely, I, I should say, because yeah. if you look for them, they're easy to find, but they're not garish. They don't, they don't stick out at all. And that's uh, Susan Boardman, heads up our marker program, and she uh, coordinates our volunteers who put the markers on. That. We'll put the marker on the house for you. You don't have to get your contractor or your handyman or woman. And always tries to figure out where the marker should be on the house so that does just mm. that, so that it's so, they're not always in the same place, um, but generally, uh, yeah, somewhere where there's a little inconspicuous, but you'll, you'll be able to see it, but it won't detract from the house. Last question, tell us about the books you've published, ah. the, meaning the trust. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we've got a great series of books. We have uh, the neighborhood series. So we've done a lot of these little individual house history books, and those are available to print on demand if for some reason you're interested in um, one of those houses. But we also, once we have a good uh, collection of, let's say we've done a lot of houses on India and Hussey and Gay Street, then we did a, a neighborhood book uh, on that area, which is called the Wesco Acres. That's That subdivision was called Wesco. Um, we've done a really beautiful book. And Michael May wrote called Sconset House by House that you can get at any of the bookstores. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from our website. If you're a member, there's a member discount code. Uh, that's a great book. And we have a lot uh, of copies that we ordered last year because we ran out that tells you about um, really Sconset House by House in the downtown Sconset Historic Core. Um, Michael was a big fan of Sconset and lived out there for many years. And then we have uh, House Main Street. There's a, a walk down Main Street that accompanies our Main Street tour. And we also have Sconset Main Street and a couple of other neighborhood books. And those are all on the publication side of our website. And we do publish a magazine every year called Ramblings. And that is distributed for free at places throughout town, Bartlett's, uh, and out in front of our, our shop on 11 Center Street. And that's a great way to see what we've been up to for the year. Uh, I've got a couple walking tours in there. Take a look at some new preservation easements and just learn a little bit of something as you ramble through Nantucket. Mary Bergman, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. This sure. is uh, more than informative. <laughs> that's what we strive for. <laughs> well, you succeeded. Glad to be here. <laughs> yes, thank you. And uh, thanks. Thank you. For profiles on Nantucket Community Television, Channel 18, I'm Charlie Walters. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll tune in again.